The text for this morning's service is from Daniel 4. And then afterwards we will sing from Psalm 49, the stanzas 1, 3, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, also you boys and girls, you're included in that. Have you ever wondered why people have such a hard time listening and doing right what is right before God and others. This is a complaint frequently heard, especially from parents with teenagers. The parents complain that their child just doesn't listen. You tell him something, and it is as if you're talking to the wall. It goes in the one ear, goes out the other. In the 1950s, there was a popular rock and roll song by the Coasters that poked fun at parents nagging at their children. It's called, Yakety Yak, Don't Talk Back. For example, one couplet goes like this. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with that broom. Get all that garbage out of sight or you don't go out Friday night. And then comes the refrain, yakety yak, don't talk back. That's what teenagers are like. They often don't do as they're told, and they go their own way. Don't think that you and I are any different. Sunday after Sunday, we come to church and listen to the preaching, and we hear how we are supposed to live. But does that really happen? Does it really make us change our behavior? Does the preaching really affect us? Sometime back, a young colleague of mine called me up and he was a little bit upset for he had been dealing with a problem in his congregation and he addressed that so he thought thoroughly in his preaching. But it didn't make any difference. The problem was just as bad, if not worse, than before. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people won't listen? That has to do with our sinful nature. We as sinful human beings have great difficulty in changing direction. People are like locomotives. Once they are on their track and moving full speed ahead, it takes quite a bit to make that locomotive stop or to get onto another track. That's also the way we are as people. We stay in the same rut. Just because someone says something to you and points you in the right direction, that does not mean that now all of a sudden he or she is going to change course. We don't like to be told what to do. It usually takes more than just some words or commands. What then does? Well, people change only when they want to change. You cannot make them. You can shake them up a little, though. You can make them stand still on their tracks and make them pay attention. For we all need to be shaken up once in a while. But that's all we can do. After you have shaken someone up, all you can do is sit back and wait for the Holy Spirit to do his work. You see, that's what we are dealing with here with Nebuchadnezzar. He was a proud and arrogant man. 
He thought that he was God's gift to the world and that he could bring nations and people on their knees because of his own greatness and power. In his way of thinking, he stood way above the rest. Everything turned around him. He needed to change. And so what does God do? Well, God comes to him in a dream. In that dream interpreted to him by Daniel, God gives him a vision of a statue which has a golden head. Everything else is made up of lesser material. Daniel, as a mouthpiece of the Lord, also told him, however, that a rock cut out by God himself would destroy that whole statue, including the golden head, and nothing will be left. But even though he honors Daniel as a prophet of God, the message of Daniel doesn't change him. He is just as arrogant as always. He doesn't listen. For what does he do instead? Well, he builds an enormous statue totally made up of gold. And everyone is told to worship that image. And again, he is confronted and humiliated by God. For the three friends of Daniel who did not want to worship the golden statue and whom he had thrown into the fiery furnace are rescued by God himself right before his eyes. Again, Nebuchadnezzar is directly confronted by God and his power. God, as it were, stands right in front of him and and stops him in his tracks. Stops him in what he is doing. He tells him to stop worshiping worthless gods. But does he? Does he repent from his hidden ways? No. Oh, sure, he once again honors God, the God of Israel, with his lips. But in the meantime, he keeps on going in the same direction he has always been going. He is the same heathen as he always was. He is still proud and arrogant and full of himself. What does it take to change him? Well, that's what chapter 4 is about. God indeed brings him on his knees. Once again, he gives him a dream. But this time he makes the dream come true right away. And so this time he cannot ignore the dream. He cannot ignore God's words. God is going to show this proud monarch for what he truly is at heart, a beast. And so I will preach to you about the... The theme this morning is that the Lord makes the dream to humble Nebuchadnezzar by turning him into a beast, a reality. And then we will look at three things. First of all, the interpretation of the dream. Secondly, the humiliation. And then finally, the restoration. The Lord makes the dream to humble Nebuchadnezzar by turning him into a beast, a reality. In this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar tells us about a dream that he had in the first person singular. In other words, this is his personal account. Nebuchadnezzar tells this story obviously after these events. And God has included this as part of his word. And Nebuchadnezzar tells us that once again he received a dream which disturbed him greatly. 
He even speaks about being terrified. He has a premonition that the dream's message is not a good one, at least not for him. Something is afoot, and he knows that it doesn't bode well for him. And that is why he summons the wise men of Babylon. He wants an explanation that makes sense, an explanation that he can live with. He wants some indication that things are not going to turn out as badly for him as he suspects. For that reason, he does not right away call upon Daniel. He knows that Daniel is a prophet of God and that he will give him the plain goods. He will tell him the truth. Nebuchadnezzar is not ready for the truth, however. He is a master at ignoring reality. Many people are like that. The only real world to him is the world in which he lives and the world that he has created for himself. It is a world wherein he is the best and the greatest and where nothing is going to harm him if he can do anything about it. It is a world seen through his eyes and not through the eyes of others. In many ways, it is a delusional world. But he does not want that world to be disturbed. And that is why the wise men of Babylon cannot help him. For the way they try to help him is by trying to understand his world and to apply the meaning of the dream to that world of his. For they know how dangerous it is to disturb the king's peace of mind. It could cost them their lives. For he has been known to shoot the messenger because of the message. They are deathly afraid of him. And they certainly are not going to tell him something disturbing. They know he does not want to hear the truth about himself. They are unable to get a handle on the dream, therefore, to see how to deliver a message that will make sense and at the same time be acceptable to him. They play it safe and tell him that he cannot interpret the dream for him. And so the king's mind is not put at ease. On the contrary, this increases his anxiety. For now he has no choice but to call upon Daniel, and therefore to hear the truth. Nebuchadnezzar knows very well who Daniel is and what he stands for. In the past he has proven himself to be a true and fearless prophet. Nebuchadnezzar is afraid of the message he is about to receive. And indeed, Daniel lives up to his reputation. He tells him the terrible truth. He is not afraid, for he does not fear for his life. He knows that his life is in the hand of God. But he is not happy to be that messenger. And from his reluctance, it appears that he has built up a rapport with the king over the years. And that is why he became so greatly perplexed. And his thoughts terrified him, as it says in the text. God once again had revealed to him the meaning. But the message was devastating for Nebuchadnezzar. And so he was reluctant to tell the king its meaning. But Nebuchadnezzar assures him that he wants to hear the truth this time. He says, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. With that assurance, Daniel tells him the meaning. The enormous tree that he saw in his dream and that stood in the middle of the earth represents Nebuchadnezzar himself. 
Daniel explains that Nebuchadnezzar has become so strong and so powerful that everyone is now dependent on him for protection and sustenance. He indeed is the great king. But, explains Daniel, a messenger from God will come along who will order to have that tree cut down. All that is to remain is a stump. And that stump is going to be bound with iron and bronze. And that stump, that is Nebuchadnezzar, is going to live like wild animals. Nebuchadnezzar is going to become a wild animal. He is going to eat grass like cattle and live like a beast. The fact that the stump is going to be bound with iron and bronze indicates that the stump will now be fettered by madness. The text doesn't tell us for exactly how long this will go on. It speaks about seven times passing by for him. Some think that it refers to seven years, but that's not entirely certain. What we do know is that it is going to be a definite period of time. And it will not happen until Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that heaven rules. The Lord is going to humble him. That brings us to the second point. What Daniel said would happen did indeed happen. But it took a whole year before the fulfillment of the dream took place. The Lord gave him a year to consider the warning and turn from his arrogant ways. It is not as if he should have any doubt about God not being able to do what he said he would do. Time and again, God has shown to him what he is capable of. He performed miracles right before his eyes. Many others would have shaken in their boots and repent in sackcloth and ashes, but not proud and arrogant Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps at first he is a bit cautious. His conscience has been pricked. But he doesn't quite know what to do. He knows that he must repent from his sins, as Daniel tells him. But how do you do that when you have been in a comfortable rut all your life? It is hard to get out of that rut. But after a full year had passed, caution left him. He became bolder and bolder. And then while he stands on the roof of his royal palace overlooking Babylon, he is overcome by the beauty of the city. He remarks that it is the city that he, the great king of Babylon, had rebuilt. It is no idle claim. For when Nebuchadnezzar took over the reins from his father, he took over a city that had been severely damaged by the Assyrians. With great energy, Nebuchadnezzar took it upon himself to rebuild the city and to make the city more beautiful than it had ever been. Later, eyewitnesses testify to that. And archaeology also confirms that. He rebuilt the temples and the streets, the gates, the citadels, and the palaces. He took all the spoils of war, including the treasures of Israel and Judah, and all the treasures of the temple in Jerusalem, and used it for the decoration of the city. And it was certainly a sight to behold. The palace had large courts, reception rooms, throne room, residences, and the famous hanging gardens, a vaulted, terraced structure with an elaborate water supply for its trees and plants, 
From the palace, he would see in the distance the city's 27-kilometer outer double wall, which he had built. His palace stood just inside the double wall of the inner city, which was punctuated by eight gates and encircled and encircled an area three kilometers by one kilometer with the Euphrates running right through his property. And the palace enjoined a processional avenue that Nebuchadnezzar had paved with limestone and decorated with lion figures, with dragons and bulls. And now he stands on top of one of his opulent palaces and takes great delight in the works of his hands. Look at what I have done. He was really taken in with himself. In effect, he was saying, all things are from me and through me, and to me is the power and the glory forever. But from heaven there followed no amen. He had barely spoken his last word when a voice comes from heaven saying, This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately the sentence is executed. Nebuchadnezzar started acting like a madman, imagining himself to be an animal. I would think that his disturbed nature became immediately apparent to all around. Probably in his madness, he tore off his clothes and true to his animal-like nature, he went over to the nearest meadow to eat grass and seek the company of other animals. In his state, human contact was impossible. Maybe what some of his more kind-hearted citizens did was to build him a little shack to protect him from the sun and put him on a chain. No doubt most of his subjects will have ridiculed him and taunted the great madman. Certainly his appearance will have been frightful. Our text gives us a bit of an idea of what he must have looked like. His hair grew long, and his nails became like the claws of a bird of prey. The great King Nebuchadnezzar had been reduced to an animal, and as such he had become the laughingstock of the whole nation. This is quite a fall from grace. He goes from being the most powerful king on earth to an animal on on a chain. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he could control all things, that things would go according to his agenda. Brothers and sisters, throughout the Bible, we hear warnings against this. God does not want power in a single man. He knows what we are like. He knows that by nature... We are arrogant that by nature we want to control things. That was already the sin in paradise. God knows that if you give power to a man, he will become drunk with it. As the saying goes, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. How wonderful it is to be reformed. Our church order jealously guards against the power of one man over another, 
there is an equality between elders and ministers, and there is an equality between churches with whom we are in a federation. For you will always have people in the church who want to be top dog and who want to push their own agenda. God rules. And we have to allow him to rule and to have men who humbly submit themselves to God and who allow themselves to be fettered by God's word. Nebuchadnezzar wants nothing to do with God. And therefore God punishes him. Modern psychiatry has documented cases similar to that of Nebuchadnezzar. It is known as boanthropy. Such people escape reality by thinking themselves to be an animal. They cannot deal with the world around them as it is, and so they think themselves to be an animal. If you are an animal, then you are not responsible for your behavior. Nebuchadnezzar knew what he had to do. In verse 34, we read that he lifted up his eyes to heaven and that then his sanity returned to him. Brings us to our third point. Nebuchadnezzar praised the Most High, it says in our text, and he honored and gloried him who lives forever and ever. He had to admit that only the one true God is the creator of heaven and earth, and that to him belong the power and the glory. He had to be brought to that point. He had to be forced to come to that admission. And you may wonder, as I would, why, as I did, why did God make such an effort to have Nebuchadnezzar repent? There have been so many others like him and since him. Why did he continue to pepper him with dreams and to make the last dream a reality, even in his lifetime? Well, brothers and sisters, let's remember who this Nebuchadnezzar was. He was the king, he was the king who brought the Davidic dynasty to an end. He is the one who besieged Jerusalem, captured it, and finally destroyed it completely. He is the one who carried the last legitimate king, Jehoiakim, captive to Babylon. That was a momentous occurrence in the history of the church, in the history of God's people. The Jews, God's covenant people, thought that such a thing would never, ever happen. After all, God, the creator of heaven and earth and the ruler of all the world, would never allow such a barbarian to capture them, would he? Aren't we God's special people? Indeed, God's people needed to repent. They needed to be shaken up. They needed to be stopped dead in their tracks. However, all the nations had to know that just because God's people had been rendered powerless does not mean that the God of Israel is powerless. God only uses men such as Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon for his own purposes. He is always in control. He rules. Nebuchadnezzar nor anyone else should ever think that the God of Israel is not capable of defending his people. One word by him, and all the evil nations will be wiped off the earth. 
Nebuchadnezzar nor anyone else was to think that they could control their own destiny. At the beginning of chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, we see that what is written in this chapter are the words of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. It contained a proclamation that he sent messengers to the peoples, nations of men of every language who lived all over the world. God wanted the whole world to know that he ruled the universe. He is the one who brought Nebuchadnezzar to his knees and he made him acknowledge that God, that to God alone is the power and the majesty and the dominion. But did Nebuchadnezzar really repent? Many think so. However, please know that he does not speak about God's mercy and loving kindness. He does not acknowledge that God was merciful to him. And and above all, we do not see anywhere here that he admits his sin, that he acknowledges his sin before God. We do not detect here any remorse about his own extreme arrogance. We do not see that Nebuchadnezzar wants to seek true reconciliation with his creator, for he does not approach God with a broken and lowly spirit as David did, for example. No, Nebuchadnezzar only did what was absolutely necessary. He acknowledges before all men that God is the ultimate ruler of the universe. But there is no sign of true repentance. After all that, how is that possible? Brothers and sisters, that is the sinful, unregenerate, unregenerate human nature speaking. God did everything he could to bring Nebuchadnezzar to the truth. But in the end, Nebuchadnezzar still did not want the truth. He did not want to change. For he did not want to give up his own pride and his own self-sufficiency. Let that be a lesson to us. We can do everything we want to bring other people to the truth. Including our children. And our grandchildren. And our friends. And our relatives and our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But that's all you can do. God himself limited himself in his power to give us the choice to choose for him or against him. Joshua says in chapter 24 to the people of Israel, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Either the gods of your own making or the God of Israel. You may say to yourself, well, that sounds Arminian. As if it is up to us. Well, that's not the case. Once you do come to God, then you can never say that it is because of your strength that you did so. God is always in control. He is the one who regenerates us. But he does want you to open up his heart to him. He makes it totally possible. He wants you to choose for him time and again. He wants you to humble yourself. He wants every one of us to do that. Don't think that you have the power to change anyone. 
Don't think that by merely telling someone to believe and to act in the proper way, that then they're also going to do that. It doesn't work that way. All you can do is come with God's power. All you can do is come with the gospel of salvation. And that's very powerful. Brothers and sisters, God will gather his kingdom to the end of time, no matter what. And he wants you and me to be part of that. But he can also do without us. He can, as he said to his disciples, turn the rocks into his disciples. God's plan for his creation will never be thwarted. A lot of things happen in this universe which go against his will. That was not only the case then, but also the case today. Anyone who sins does so against the will of our Heavenly Father. At this time of the year, we look forward to to celebrating the birth of Christ. For Daniels and his contemporaries, that was still in the future. The Christ still had to be born. He would be born of the house of David. Although the house of David in the eyes of the world no longer has any power in the earthly scheme of things, that house will rule forever in the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great king. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had done away with the house of David. He didn't, did he? The son of God, the son of David, came. He became king. And he rules now. He rules forever and ever. And God does everything to bring him about that man can be reconciled to him. And that is why he wanted to preserve his people Israel from the destructive ways of the heathens around them. But by and large, God's people rejected him. And so he chose others. People and nations today may think that they are all powerful. That they can do what they want. And that nothing and no one can stop them. They do not think that they are accountable to a supreme ruler. But that will be their downfall. Every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God at some time. And that includes all the rulers of this present world. And therefore we have to listen. And not just listen, but act. We have to honor and worship God. God left Nebuchadnezzar without a choice. He had to honor God. But he did so only with his lips. Nebuchadnezzar did not really turn around and serve God. He remained in his pagan and wicked ways. Daniel only did what God had commanded him to do, namely to tell Nebuchadnezzar of the impending judgment of God if he did not acknowledge God as the supreme ruler from whom all blessings flow. If Nebuchadnezzar did not truly repent and serve God alone, it wasn't Daniel's fault, was it? It wasn't God's fault either. Nebuchadnezzar was given more than one chance. But ultimately he blew it. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God has once again come to you with his word. Are you listening? 
really listening? Only those who believe and truly repent from their sins will eventually rule with Him. Thankfully, God will forgive us our sins time and time again, but we have to lead lives of repentance. There may not be an air of arrogance within us. God humbles us, and we have to allow Him to humble us. It's only then that you can rule with Him. Rule with Christ in the eternal kingdom of God. As long as we hear what he has to say to us and obey his word, then we do not have to be afraid of anything, for God rules. He alone into eternity, and to him is the power and the glory and the majesty forever. Amen.